Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to this week's Impact Cyber Church. Man, we have spent eight weeks already, and today is going to be the ninth week on talking about three days that change the world. I'm, I'm telling you, if you have been with us for this entire process, your head should be on fire with the glory of God. You should be bouncing off the walls with excitement to, to see. And I've just scratched the surface of what Jesus did for us through the death, burial, and resurrection. And today I'm going to, I'm going to Wrap it up. And again, you know, if, if you want to dive deeper in this, get my series, Three Days That Change the World. You can get it by purchasing it at impactministries.com, or you can get it for uh, for $1 over at uh, moveyourboundaries.com at Impact Unlimited. But anyhow, let me let me just jump in this. By the way, some people say, well, why, why do you even ever sell product, or why do, why do you have things out there like this? Well, let me tell you something. There are people who want to go deeper. There's people who want to be uh, disciples, and and they want to invest in themselves. And, and if we if we went into all the detail in these broadcasts that we go into in this series, honest truth is most of you would just fall off because you're maybe you're not that interested in that part of it. But also, uh, you know, it costs us money to, to make these series and put them out. But that is one of the reasons we don't beg for offerings all the time. I mean, yeah, we receive offerings, and I appreciate it. we got world changers that give every month, and you can become a world changer uh, and help us to, to reach a billion people around the world, which is what we're doing. But through the series that people buy to invest in themselves or through Impact Unlimited, what happens is you not only invest in yourself, but we use those finances to reach the world. So, you know, don't, don't despise the fact that, that uh, we have found a way to create finances so that we're not having to just beg for money all the time because, you know, well, you, you know, yeah. Well, listen, let's talk about this. Let's talk about Jesus conquering sin and death. You know, <clears throat> I used to do international crusades, and, and uh, uh, it, it was one of those things that when, I, when God— put it on my heart to do those things. I loved doing it. And it's just like everything else in my life and ministry. When that day was over, it was over. And then I started training other people to do the things that I did. But there was one particular um, translator or interpreter that I worked with uh, in the Philippines. And he had worked with everybody that's anybody as far as doing uh, international crusades. He was uh, he he was one of the one of the nation's top interpreters, and so uh, one day after we had done several crusades together, uh, we were we were relaxing, waiting for what we were going to be doing next, and uh, and he said, "I've got to ask you." He said, "What what is your secret?" And I'm, I I said, "Well, I'm not sure what you're talking about. I didn't know I had a secret." He said, "He said, oh yeah." He said, "There's something you're doing that's." different than all these other people. And I'm not going to mention any of those guys because they're all people that I respect and I'm not in any way comparing myself or my ministry to them because, because they're reaching people all over the world just like we're reaching people all over the world. But he, he, he told me, he said, he said, he, he said I, I have done in, in translation work for 
all of the biggest names in the world that have come to the Philippines. And he said, even though there are people that draw bigger crowds, he said, uh, there is nobody that percentage-wise has as many people get saved or as many people get healed in their meetings as you do. And he said, I'm telling you, I've, I've done this my whole life, and no, nobody does. He said, I want to know what your secret is, why this happens this way. And i got to tell you something. Uh, I had to really sit down and think because as far as I knew, I, 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 didn't, I didn't have a secret. And, and, and he was telling the truth. I mean, I, I, I thought that everybody that went over to these other countries and did crusades had these kinds of results. You know, um, if we had, had 5,000 people out in a jungle crusade, it wouldn't be unusual for, you know, for 4,000 of them to get saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is something that doesn't happen in many crusades. And then it wouldn't be unusual again to have two or three thousand get healed in ways that was obvious. And, and I mean, I'm talking about cripples getting up and walking, blind eyes opening and, and deaf people hearing and dumb people talking. All of these kinds of things were happening. And the honest truth was uh, I, I really learned what I learned from the other guys that had been doing this long before me. And I really didn't feel like I had anything special. But I gave it a lot of thought, and, and I can remember when, when it would be, now it would be 40-something 40, 40 years ago, about close to 45 years ago, I can remember sitting in a church service, and, and my pastor preached a sermon from 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. And it says this, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech, or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with enticing or persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of the power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, I remember sitting there that day, <coughs> And my pastor read that verse, and then basically he said, this is why I preach a salvation message every week. It's because Paul only preached the cross. I, I'm only going to preach the cross. And I, I tell you, the, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, this is, what I've, this is what I've called you to do. This is the message I want you to preach, the message of the cross. Well, you know, at that time, I interpreted that in my own mind and heart to just be to get people saved because that's, what, that's how my pastor interpreted that verse. And that was fine because, man, back in those days, I was involved in street ministry. And for about three years, I, the bulk of what I did in ministry for three years was out on the streets. Now, I don't mean standing on the street corners and hollering at people. I mean, you know, finding innovative ways to witness to people and, and doing outreaches in parks and, and doing home meetings. You know, back in those days, there were hippies and, we, you know, hippies would get together and play music, smoke dope and and, uh, you know, I'd, I'd go in those, in those places that I used to go to and, and sell dope and play music. And, and I'd go into those places and uh, share Jesus with them, you know. And so I thought, okay, man, I'm, I'm content with preaching the cross all, all of my life. But I'll give you kind of a, 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 what happened over the, the next many years that 
I began to see evolve that really gave me the question to this answer that, that this man had asked me about why so many people got healed, why so many people got saved, why he saw things in my crusades that he didn't see in hardly any other crusade, and he, and he didn't see any of them to the degree that he was seeing them in my crusades. And, you know, I did, I've never believed I had a special anointing. I never believed I had something that anybody else didn't have, still don't believe it. But what I, began, what I began to realize over the years is that preaching the message of the cross and what God, or how God took me down this path was that everything that I believed about Jesus, I had to be able to prove it, see it, and base it on what happened in the death, burial, and resurrection. And... And, and, you know, all of this evolved over time, and more and more and more, I was having to correct some of my theology that I had picked up in, you know, in church and in Bible college. I'd have to correct my theology because I'd realize uh, uh, this is not based on what Jesus did at the cross. And so, and so what I realized as I went back to my hut where I was staying and, and, and meditated on this, I realized that, that I had a really, really simple message and that my message, everything about everything I, I taught and everything to this day that I teach always goes back to, did Jesus model it? Is it consistent with what Jesus taught? Is it based on Jesus' interpretation of the Scripture? And then ultimately, can I see this in the cross, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And if I can't, then my faith, my faith can't make it produce something. We are living in a day where Christians don't live in a lot of victory, where, where honestly you don't see or hear testimonies much about people getting healed anymore. You don't see much of the supernatural. And in the places that do talk about it, Unfortunately, there's a lot of fanaticism and, and emotionalism. Uh, you know, you know I, I, was, I was in a church one time, and I'm not going to tell what country it is in. I'm not going to say who it was. But I was in a, country, in a church one time, about 25,000 people, 25,000, 30,000 people. And I was, I was speaking in this church, and me and the pastor really hit it off. And, man, he liked me because I was down to earth and because I was practical and because I wasn't arrogant and all that kind of stuff. And so, so he had had, and this, was, this would be back in the 90s probably, he had had like the, the person who had the greatest reputation in America for getting people healed in meetings. And he, he, had, he had just had him into his church. And this guy carried a, a medical doctor with him to, to, to uh, interview the people that came up and wanted to share testimonies, you know, after he had preached. And, you know, the, my, my friend, my pastor friend, he started seeing that, that, that really the people that were taking, that were interviewing the, the people that were, wanted to testify were kind of coaching them and kind of coaching them and, and, and getting them to kind of grab at straws to believe that they were healed. And so he arranged to put people from his own church there to interview the people that wanted to get up on the platform and testify. And he said, he said just by asking straightforward questions, that there really wasn't anybody to testify. 
because, because they, they had to lead the people. They had, the people had to lead and grab at straws. And, and I'm not saying that happens all the time. I'm not saying that, that, you know, that, that's, that that happens every day in crusades. But I am saying that so many of the places where you even still hear people talk about healing, it's kind of mysticized. It's kind of emotionalized. It's kind of, stretch, kind of stretching the truth uh, um, uh, to, to, get, to get their testimonies to stand up and prove out to be true. And and I want to tell you something. I, I don't want that. Christians today are not experiencing much of the power of God. But I want to focus in very specifically just on why Christians struggle with sin and temptation as much as as much as so. And I want to tell you something. If you if you can sort out this thing about temptation and sin, trust me, you will have no problem getting healed when you're facing physical and emotional issues. You'll have no problem working through financial issues. You will not have any problem dealing with, connecting to, experiencing any of the provision of the new covenant, any of the promises of God. Because I got news for you, uh, the hardest thing in the world is not, is not getting healed from a physical disease. Hardest thing in the world is not getting to a breakthrough in your finances. The hardest thing in the world is when everything in you is craving something and wanting something and actually being able to not only put that to death, but to put that to death and walk out of your prayer closet, if you will, uh, uh, totally free from it. You know, the, the, the way I was taught about when I first started going to church, man, the way I was taught about it is like, is like winning over sin was like, was like wanting something worse than you could imagine and, and trying to stay away from it and being in this this struggle and this fight. And, and even though you manage to pull yourself away from the temptation, it's like the claws of a werewolf are in your back cut, uh, uh, trying to hold you there. And, and it's painful for you to leave that temptation behind. I'll tell you, that, that, that's not victory. I'll tell you, victory is when you walk by a temptation that at one time you would have sacrificed everything to have. You would have run every risk. You would have, you would have lied. You would have cheated. You would have done anything to have whatever that was that you wanted. And to be able to walk by that same temptation and barely even notice that it's there. I'll tell you something, that, that's living in victory. And when you can do, do that, you have discovered the key to victory to every promise of God. You see, one of the reasons believers struggle so much with sin is because they never deal with sin at the cross, the way we've the, the way we've approached dealing with sin has just been negative. It's been willpower. It's been uh, it's, just, it's it's been counterproductive. It's destroyed our faith. It's made us feel alienated from God. You know, the last thing you need when you're struggling with sin is to feel alienated from God. You want to feel connected to God. You want to feel the strength of God. See, we feel like, and religion teaches us, that pretty much God runs away the moment we're tempted. Well, I've got news for you. That is absolutely not true. The Bible tells us to come boldly before the throne of, throne of grace in our time of need. And I've got news for you. Your time of need is when you're about to sin and, and you're struggling or after you sin and you're condemned. That's your time of need. And the Bible says in those times, even when you're wanting to do the wrong thing, even when you're struggling because you have done the wrong thing, we need to come through the throne of grace 
boldly. We need to come with confidence that the one who said, I'll never leave you, I'll never fail you, I'll never forsake you, that he is absolutely true to his word. And the moment we open our heart to search for him and to connect to it, we're going to. But all of that is based on and the victory and the power that that works from absolutely comes from the from what happened at the cross. Listen to this. Colossians 1.18 says this. And we're going to go somewhere. I'm telling you, uh, some of you are just, your head's going to blow up. But, you know, I'll, I, I don't know, you're going to have to pray it through. Colossians 1.18 says this about Jesus. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Now, <clears throat> when it says he's the firstborn from the dead, if we aren't just talking about physical death, then that scripture and other scriptures throughout the New Testament are not true because he was not the firstborn from the dead. You know, Jesus raised Lazarus up. There were other people raised from the dead. In the Old Testament, the prophets raised people from the dead. You know, Elisha, uh, uh, Elisha was thrown in, his body was thrown into a grave uh, onto a dead man that suddenly was raised from the dead. Listen, there have been people raised from the dead. If, if raising people from physical death, or if Jesus being raised from physical death, was all that happened at the resurrection, then the resurrection was meaningless to us. But the truth is, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, Jesus died, and remember, we, we define this, don't freak out, uh, Jesus died plural deaths. In Isaiah 53, 7, listen, this is, it says, and he was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from the prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. This is talking about what happened on the cross. And you need to go read Isaiah 53 over and over again prayerfully and meditate on it and imagine it and think about it and let God expand that for you. He says, verse 9, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Uh, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Now back there when it talked about his death, he, uh, uh, that his death, he made his grave, you know, you know, with the, uh, 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 with, with the rich and, uh, and with the poor. I want you to understand, it, it, or excuse me, it, with, it made his grave with the wicked and with the rich at his death. That word death in the Hebrew is plural. See, Jesus did not simply suffer a physical death. And we, we talked about this, and, but, but I'm going to touch on it again. You Please go back and listen to the other programs because, because all death is is separation. We die... When our spirit leaves our body, when, when our spirit and body are separated, the body is dead, but the spirit is still alive. Your spirit is eternal. Your spirit is never going to die. And 
And that's why I always tell people, there's a lot of people say, you know, I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in, well, let me tell you something. God's never going to make you do anything. And if you want to enter into, if you don't want to be with God in eternity, then you're going to be somewhere else. So you're going to be in spiritual death because you're going to be separated from God. However you describe it, whatever you call it, if you don't want to be with God, you're, you're, you're not going to be with God. But your, your spirit's eternal. It, it never dies. But your body dies because of the separation. Now, spiritual death doesn't mean what we have assumed that it means because spiritual death basically is when we are separated or alienated from God. It doesn't mean our spirit died. It doesn't mean that our spirit no, uh, no longer has, uh, has any capability to reconnect to God. Well, Jesus on the cross, number one, he became sin. We have talked about that. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 6.20 talks about how he paid this debt. We were bought with a price. That's, that's why he did all that he did to purchase us uh, uh, for God. We know that when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know that he was saying the reality that because he had become sin, he was alienated from God and he died in sin. Now, this is where it gets down to the ultimate power to live resurrection life, the ultimate power to overcome temptation. And it, 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 Romans 6, 1 says this, it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Man, I want to tell you what, Paul was going through this deal with the Roman believers where they were struggling with sin and they were making theology to justify sin. They were making it all right to live in sin. But Paul was clear on this thing that we have been raised up into newness of life. We need to walk in it. And so, so We've talked about this all along, how we've got to look back at what at the battle that Jesus fought. What victories did he win? Because any victory that has to do with, with eternal life, that has to do with salvation, that has to do with man relating to God, any victory that Jesus didn't win, that means you've got to go fight it yourself. Well, I got news for you. He won every victory. And we talked about uh, the book of Jonah and, and how the book of Jonah goes through the struggle that Jesus faced in death. Let me, let me, I tell you, I won't have time to read all this. Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm that was written about a, around a thousand years before the crucifixion that, 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 got, that, that told us what Jesus was going to say on the cross, told us what the people around him were saying, told us what he was going through. Psalm 22 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, I am silent, but you are holy and throned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and I am no man. I am a reproach of men and I am despised by the people. And all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out their lip. They shake their head. They say he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. That's exactly what they said to Jesus on the cross. It says, let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God, but not 
Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help me. Many bulls have surrounded me. And bulls, uh, really in, in, in the Hebrew language, um, the bull or the ox actually represents God. But in the pagan world, the bull represented their God. So this is a reference to, you know, this is a reference, not, not that they false gods were there tormenting him, but, but all, all of the temptations related to all of the paganism and all that kind of stuff and all the demonic power, everything, everything that the devil could have used to hold him down, which all he had was sin, was, was there. He said, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They, 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 they gape at me with their mouths like raging and roaring lions. I am poured out like a, like a water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared, and my tongue clings to my jaws. This is a description of Jesus in the grave. This is a struggle of, of what he was going through. Uh, so we wouldn't have to go through it. He said, my jaws, you have, you have brought me to the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet and I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. All of this happened while Jesus was on the cross. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me and I will declare your name to my brother. In other words, you see in this psalm, he's describing this horror that he is going through. And all of this horror, all everything that's holding Jesus in the grave is our sin. That seems to be so incredibly powerful. That seems to uh, that, 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 that seems to have the power to drag us away from God. That seems to have the power to crush our heart. By the way, you go read Psalm twenty-two, and I'm and I mean I'm telling you, just read it and 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 see uh, how Jesus was using his faith in his battle. Read it along with Jonah, the, the second chapter. You know, one of the interesting things about Psalm twenty-two is it's followed by Psalm twenty-three where we see where Jesus was declaring Psalm 23, even though it, it doesn't use the names of God per se, it declares every aspect of each of the names of God. And it declares the desire and the willingness to follow God. So if, if, if Jesus became sin, I don't know how, I don't know how to sort this out. There's no way to explain this. What I'm telling you can't be explained. If he became sin, then he died in sin. And if he died in sin, this means that for him to be raised up from death, it was not just the victory over physical death. It was the victory over the power of sin. And we talked about, I, I know we've already talked about this, but I'm just reinforcing this. Listen to this, Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Revelation 1, 4, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over all kings of the earth. Now listen, when this talks about him being the firstborn of many brethren, you want to realize this. The way I'm going to say this is going to sound weird, but I'm telling you, think it through. Think through the logic. You see, in a certain sense, Jesus 
was the first person born again. Now, I know right now people are going to screaming. I mean, losing their minds. But stop and think about it. He was held in the death of sin. We were held in the death of sin. He, he was a slave to the, situa to the grave. We were a slave to the world. He believed God for, for a, being raised up for a resurrection. We believe God to be made new. He was raised up then by the glory of God. We were raised up by the glory of God. He was raised up in newness of life. We were raised up in newness of life. He conquered sin, hell, and the grave. And Paul said, don't you know that you were baptized into him and into his death? Therefore, you were raised up by the glory of God with him. I want to tell you something. When you're facing temptation and you go back to acknowledging who you are in Jesus, that you died with him, that you have been raised from him, and that you have victory over sin, I got news for you. You cannot give in to temptation while you're acknowledging that you are raised up in Jesus. I'll tell you something. Join me next week. We're going to go farther, in the, not in this, but in other truth about the cross of Christ. It's going to change your world. Be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel so millions of people around the world will get to see this. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.